Attention trumpeters. Have you ever heard of a fellow named Bud Herseth? He's only the greatest orchestral trumpeter who's ever lived and led the great Chicago Symphony Orchestra brass section through its heyday of the 1960s, 70s, and beyond, setting the standard with many definitive recordings of the standard orchestral repertoire. Well, I got a chance to work with one of Bud's students and colleagues named Timothy Kent. Tim wrote a memoir of his experiences, meeting, studying with, and ultimately playing alongside Bud over the course of nearly three decades. It's titled, Within the Sphere of the Master, and he asked yours truly to record his book. Well, the audiobook is complete and is now available for sale. It is sold and distributed exclusively through my media business, JNS Media. And to give you a sneak peek of what you'll hear in the audiobook, we've arranged for you to listen to the section of the book titled, Trumpet Lessons with Adolf Herseth for free. This 57-minute audio is a collection of tips, anecdotes, and advice the book's author shared from nearly three decades spent in the trenches studying with and performing alongside the master. To access this free audio, simply type in lessonswithbud.com into your browser and follow the directions on the page. Learn from one of the master's protégés and then listen to the audiobook to get to know the master in an intimate way you'll likely never hear anywhere else. Again, the URL for the free audio titled Trumpet Lessons with Adolf Herseth is lessonswithbud.com. And if you'd like to purchase the audiobook, just head on over to withinthespherebook.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks, James. Great to be here. Absolutely. Well, I've given just a little bit about you, but bring us up to speed. What is going on in the world of Paul Barron? Well, it's uh, it's busy. I'm bouncing between shows right now. Um, I'm finishing off the tour of Kinky Boots uh, in Florida right now, and I'll go home to mount uh, a local show of Dream Girls in Seattle area, and then back to Kinky Boots to finish the final five weeks, um, then back again to Seattle for uh, the balance of the summer, leading up to uh, Disney's Aladdin, which starts, for me, in September. Um, that should be a great show because it's doing all long sit-downs for two and three months in each city, so I'll have uh, some downtime as well to <laughs> relax and do some more um, clinics and master classes, which I've started doing quite a bit of. Right, uh, volume two of Trumpet Voluntarily, right? Uh, hopefully, yes. <laughs> it's nice Actually, to ha- we do have a follow-up coming up with some oh. uh, more exercise. I've been asked by a bunch of different people around that, uh, you know, you've got great examples of exercises, but uh, I'm too lazy. I don't want to transpose it in my head through all the keys. So can you write it out for me? So um, that's what the second book will be, more of an exercise book. Well, you can't be lazy to be uh, a great performer. And that's what this podcast is all, all about. And obviously, Paul, you're uh, one of the best in the business. But uh, we, I always like to start out the interview with uh, 
a moment when you were far from the best in the business. And uh, this is what I call your worst performance moment. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like you just fell flat on your face. You're like your trumpet fell apart or anything. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about a time when you expected something to go a certain way, meaning you expected it to go well, and it just didn't go the way that you thought. Can you think of a moment like that? Unfortunately, I can think of lots of moments like that. <laughs> Most of them uh, in college doing uh, recitals, noon recitals, you know, the little uh, one-piece recitals or uh, a full junior-senior recital. Um, for me back then, I was just uh, scared to death of performing in a situation where it was a piano or organ accompanist and just a solo trumpet. Uh, I always felt comfortable in the back row of a big band or in an orchestra pit or you know, surrounded by other musicians. So pretty much any time I got up to do a recital, but in particular the first one, I just uh, wasn't able to get any moisture in my mouth. My lips didn't vibrate. I got nothing but air balls. Uh, well, half of the, the tune was uh, air balls, you know, mm -hmm. nothing vibrating. Mm -hmm. And uh, literally, I, I think that uh, probably the first five rows of people could hear my knees knocking together. It was, at, at least in my own ears, it was that loud. So, um, yeah, th those scare me to death. This is like the, your freshman or sophomore year in college? Exactly, yeah. I yeah. think it was probably the, the worst was my very first freshman recital, huh. very first quarter, and uh, just scared to death. I was doing the, the Hummel trumpet concerto, and, you know, I think it probably started out da -da 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 -da, <laughs> right off the, the get-go. Looking back, what is something do you think you could have done to maybe have a better outcome? Well, I was never told back then about visualization and about about um, imagining or hearing a great performance in my head. Um, it was all about just getting the right notes and uh, trying to make the performance perfect. But I was dwelling so much more on the notes and how many people were in the audience. And, oh, my God, those are my peers in the first few rows, um, and they're all judging me. So that was what was going through my head all the time, um, rather than just the music and and just trying to visualize playing what I'd already successfully played in my head and in the practice room and, and in mock recitals. Um, so I think just being prepared in that way would have been a lot more helpful to me and to know about those tools to use. Visualization is important. It's probably one of the most uh, powerful tools at our disposal to be the best performers we can be. So uh, we, you've described this, I guess, a series of unfortunate events where uh, you, you weren't at your best, but uh, when did things start to click for you? Or what did, is it when you discovered like commercial playing that he's like, okay, this is, this is my comfort zone. When did things like uh, just start to fall in place for you? Well, I, I think a lot of it for me was um, just becoming really prepared for whatever it was that I was going to do. If I was uh, a little, you know, questioning myself whether I was uh, up to the task, um, nerves would get the better of me. So if I was more than prepared, um, you know, if I could play the, the piece three times in a row um, without getting tired or um, or I had more range built than what I needed in the piece that would that would really help but um, 
also being in my comfort zone, as you said, musically, um, I'm more of a commercial lead player, although I studied all the classical stuff and, and went through that in my undergrad. Um, but playing the kind of music that I really enjoy and live and, and listen to, um, I think that makes it easier to, to perform at my best. And, and then I'm just hearing the music in my head and sort of hitting the play button or the replay button and, and playing what's already in my body. Um, I think that helps sort of take me out of the, uh, the scary moment and, and just into the musical moment more. Hmm. Love that. Um, you travel around, like you've already described, you're in Florida now. You're about to go back to your home state of Washington, but you travel all over. But uh, give me, give us a picture of what life is like doing what you do. You, you stay at a, like a city f- doing a show for a number of weeks? Right. Um, yeah. On this current tour, it's mostly all one week in each city. So typically, Monday morning is uh, either a bus call, um, if it's under about 500 miles, or it's uh, a flight to the next city. So Mondays are travel. Um, Tuesday, on this particular show, since we're self-contained, meaning we don't pick up any local musicians, uh, there isn't a rehearsal on the Tuesday, but we'll have a sound check and then a little break, and then opening night on the Tuesday, uh, we play eight shows that week, two on Saturday, two on Sunday, um, pack and leave the next Monday, and this happens week after week after week. On a show like Aladdin coming up, where it'll be multiple weeks, if not months, in uh, cities, it'll be the same idea, travel on the Monday probably, um, and then we'll typically do a four- to five-hour rehearsal Tuesday morning, sound check and show and then we open um and then thankfully i'll have some mondays off um when we're dark in between weeks while staying in that same city hmm. what is the key to keeping the music i like i'm i'm just envisioning that you play the same show over and over i mean it's sort of like groundhog day and uh it's the same show different city what are some of the things that you do to keep the music interesting or at least from to prevent it from becoming tedious and monotonous and a drudgery? <laughs> a drudgery. Um, I have a bunch of different tricks, actually, and I get this question uh, asked in masterclass and clinics all the time, um, and I love it. I, I Certain tricks I play, uh, whether I can actually make these things happen or not, um, I kind of doubt it, but it's a way of keeping um, a real focus in the music and in my performance and in my playing. Um, one of the things I do is uh, try and imagine that I can get the bell vibrating so much that I can feel the beat of the bell vibrating. Um, and I just hyper-focus on that. Now, chances are I'm not really making it vibrate so much as just getting a vibrant sound. But in really focusing on that one detail, I'm, I'm bringing my focus right into the moment and I can concentrate on that. I can do that for a whole show or one tune or first act. Um, another trick is to try and imagine that I can spin the air through the mouthpiece clockwise and then <laughs> counterclockwise. <laughs> and I'm quite sure that that's not happening, but Again, it's just a way of hyper-focusing on one little thing to to bring my mind into the moment. And um, 
you know, anything like that. Um, when I've been with the show for, well, I played it hundreds of times, perhaps. Um, then I start focusing on a different instrument. Um, one night I might be concentrating on the first reed player and, and their vibrato on the, on the flute, or I might be listening to the, the timpani and, and how they're doing their, their drum rolls, you know, things like that, just to really focus in on one aspect of, uh, of the show and, and change it up, make it different from one show to the next while still focusing on my own show. Which night of the week, like if you're going into a city for a week, which night of the week is the most difficult for you to stay focused? I would say that's Wednesday night. They mm. call it the sophomore jinx night. Oftentimes, um, as a, a local player, um, which I've been, you know, many times as well, you're really, really focused. You During rehearsal, you, you know, you've got everything down and you're just really focusing on the conductor and how they're going to do a certain tune or a passage or whatever. Um, and Tuesday night, you're still on the edge of your seat. Well, hopefully that goes well that night. And uh, Wednesday, it's pretty common that people kind of relax a little bit. You've got the first one under your belt. So ah, now I can relax and breathe a little bit. And that's when things will catch you up because you're mm. maybe not quite as well versed in the show. You haven't done it hundreds of times. So you can't really just uh, sort of go on autopilot, but you feel comfortable enough that you can let down your guard. Mm. So that's typically for me um, as a local musician, but then also as a traveling musician where I've uh, realized, okay, well, you know, we got the orchestra through this. It's sounding really good. Uh, I can relax. And then, whoops, oh, I missed that one. Mm. You know, something. The hot seat is about to catch Paul Barron up. But before we get into that, we're going to take a moment to thank our sponsor. Paul, you are now on the hot seat. Do you think you can stand the heat? I hope so. Let's find out. All right. It is five minutes before you go on stage for an important performance. What are you doing? I'm probably pacing, um, and pacing by playing uh, at least the opening tune or the the, uh, the hot seat passage that I'm going to have to play. I'm playing that numerous times over in my head. I, I saw a, uh, a little clip of James Morrison doing a clinic. I think it was a DVD that was snipped up into pieces on YouTube, and he was asked about playing the opening for the Olympics um, in in Sydney, I guess it was, and uh, how he was able to come in on a double G out of nowhere. And he said he just visualized himself having played it successfully numerous times. And that's what I do as well. Um, I sort of stole that from him, at least. So that's what I'll be doing is hitting that replay button and, and hearing myself successfully play the part that I'm about to, to uh, come in and play. And so when I hit the stage and have to play that, I've already done it numerous times through my head. I'm just playing along with the sounds that I've already created in my in my own mind of a successful performance. What is the best performance-related advice you've ever received? Well, I, I don't think I can use the explicative on, uh, on, on this interview, but uh, <laughs> blank them if they can't take a joke. Um, and it might start with the letter F. Um, and what I took from that, that was about when I was 14 years old, it was a trumpet teacher that just said, mm, if they can't take a joke, what I took away from that is look at here's, I'm going to do my very best. Um, this is all I've got to give. And believe me, I'm going to give it all my all 
here it is. This is the best I've got. And you just go for it. And don't worry about, don't worry about anything, really. The repercussions, you know, maybe later, but it's not life and death. It's, uh, it's music and, and you really have to play with passion and, and excitement. And, and that'll translate to the audience, I think, more so than playing an absolutely perfect show or a perfect piece or whatever. Um, but so carefully that you're worried about uh, missing a note here and there. I don't think the passion and, and excitement is going to be in the music as much. So um, just go for it. And that excitement and everything will, will translate out to the audience, I'm quite sure. And they'll appreciate that more than a, a flawless, careful performance. So a student comes up to you and says, I'm having problems with dry mouth. What can I do about it? Well, for me, a lot of that was uh, was nerves. But then just have a glass of water close by, you know, or a water bottle close by. Um, I'm not sure if that's something that... Um, Wynton Marsalis or Doc Severinsen or Maurice Andre would do during a performance. But um, I guess if you need to do that, then, um, you know, have that close by. Somebody also said, um, just bite your tongue very lightly and it helps stimulate the saliva a little bit more. Um, I guess maybe that works. <laughs> but uh, make sure that you're hydrated before you even go on stage. All right. This is the final question of the interview, but it is a doozy. So do your best. Uh-oh. Imagine you are on stage. It's the end of a performance. The audience is on its feet, giving a standing ovation. They don't want any more, and they don't want any less. Everything is absolutely perfect. What have you just done? Give us details. Your venue, repertoire, who you're playing with. It can be real. It can be imagined. Just get creative with it. Well, I think one of the most magical experiences for me was playing with uh, Natalie Cole. And I may have mentioned this on our last interview, as a matter of fact, but it's still a real standout for me with the audience and the orchestra, Natalie Cole, everybody was connected. She was connected to us, we to her and to the audience. And it was the most magical experience Um and whether we played flawlessly, I don't know, but the music was certainly there and you almost couldn't find a dry eye in the orchestra because it was just such a beautiful experience. We were up the top of Whistler Mountain, just outside of Vancouver, Canada, uh, during the summertime. And uh, we had taken ski lifts to get up there. Um, Barry Sachs player sitting next to me, dangling his Barry Sachs on the chairlift as our feet and instruments are dangling and oh, we're looking down and there's a black bear and oh over here there's uh you know a cougar and we end up at the top of the ski hill and have to walk down past the bales of hay which they'd set up for uh seating on the ski hill we were right at the top there and uh we started the comp uh concert and um it was the unforgettable tune which i hadn't heard yet to, to date it was brand new album and her father, um, you know, was recorded and, and uh, remixed into that duet. And it was just perfect sound. And Natalie Cole was just singing so beautifully that it sounded like Nat, King Cole, and Natalie were in the, the same concert together. Yeah. So I think that was one of those moments where, uh, I, I hope I'm getting back to your question, but where the audience was so connected, they're on their feet. They don't want anything more. They don't want anything less. They were just so appreciative. And I think we were so appreciative of being able to be in that moment with Natalie Cole and really with her father in a sense. 
and with the audience that was just so uh, into it. I think that was probably the most magical uh, musical experience I've ever had. Ah, what a beautiful story. Well, Paul Barron is my guest. I uh, forgot to ask, where can we reach you on the net? Oh, uh, my website is paulbaron.net. So that's P-A-U-L-B-A-R-O-N.net. Um, Amazon for the book, uh, Trumpet Voluntarily. And uh, where else? Well, I have a, a Facebook page, Trumpet Voluntarily. You can look up that. Facebook under Paul Barron or Paul Barron 2, T-O-O. All right. I think that's all of them. <laughs> well, definitely check out Paul Barron's book, Trumpet Voluntarily, if you're a trumpet player. It's received rave reviews from uh, many esteemed trumpeters. But uh, And also go to musicalmindmastery.com for show notes on this episode. Just type in Paul's name on the search bar there on the homepage. It'll take you right there. Paul, thank you so much for sharing your insights. Thank you for being on the podcast and thank you for bringing us one step closer to understanding the secrets of the musical mind. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of Trumpet Dynamics, telling the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. Are you a true listener? Visit TrumpetDynamics.com to learn more about the show and subscribe to my email newsletter. You can also find us on Facebook, where we record a live Pay It Forward Friday episode each Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Just type in James Newcomb on Trumpet.com into your browser to find the Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we will be in your earballs soon. You're still here. You must like this show or something. Well, I've got a special offer for you for hanging in there to the very end and proving yourself to be a true listener. I have a brand new and it is exclusive for devoted fans of the Trumpet Dynamics podcast. It is called The Secret Chamber of Don Clarino. It's brand new. I don't even know what's going to come of it. I'm honestly not even really involved in it, but I'm contractually obligated to tell you about it as an employee of the Trumpet Dynamics podcast. So if you want to learn more about it, here's the URL, trumpetdynamics.live forward slash DC, trumpetdynamics.live forward slash DC. There's a short registration process and you'll be in there. Okay. I don't know if I'm even allowed to be in there, honestly, but check it out. See if you like it. Later.